today on Ag News Daily. Really hard not to get involved in the hustle of the spring planting and watching the fields of green turn gold and just wanting to be able to help out more around in that area. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson, and it is certainly a Friday edition because we've got a special bonus for today's episode, don't we, Mike? Yeah, we do, Delaney. I'm really excited. I haven't heard these yet. I know you and Madison have already tuned in to the uh, the comedic stylings we'll be playing (laughs) a little bit later on, but uh, I'm excited to hear them. Yes. So just a little tease. We've had Tim, the dairy farmer on the podcast before. It's been quite some time, I think, maybe last summer, I want to say. But Tim is a dairy farmer and also a comedian and has offered up a few comedic bits for us to include on some future Friday episodes. So do stay tuned for that. A little more fun here for Friday, especially with some of the heavy news that we've been dealing with. We wanted to bring some excitement and some joy to our listeners, Mike. Absolutely. I mean, we all need something. We need a we need a bailout of this malaise yes. we've been in, Delaney. Bailout is a great term for today's <laughs> news topics because most of the headlines I have are related to the bailout packages that we are seeing right now voted on in Congress. Fantastic. And I have none of those because I'm so sick of dealing with policy. Yeah. So let me lay it on us. What's, uh, okay. what's coming out of D.C.? All right. So there's a couple big headlines for today. The first one I want to address for our farmer listeners and for our small business owners is that additional replenishment of the Paycheck Protection Program. Now the House and Senate have signed off. So the last step we've got to see here is President Trump President Trump signing it into law. He was expected to do that today. I haven't seen if he has officially signed it, but that's going to happen without any hitch. So again, as a refresher, that package that they've passed is $484 billion for COVID-19 relief. If you have a small business and you haven't applied for the Paycheck Protection Program, definitely look into it because four of that $484 billion package, $320 billion of that is going back to replenish that PPP fund. The other change of about seven, what is that? Mm, I'm not good at math. Less than $100 billion, that's the remainder of that fund, is going to things like the specific farm-eligible separate disaster loan program. So this is for farmers who can apply. You do not have to have a legal entity. And you can receive up to a $10,000 cash advance that will not have to be repaid. Ask your banker or your accountant how you apply for that because we still don't really know and they might not really know yet. But that is one piece of the bailout package that is coming. Another piece or thing, I suppose you could say, that is still being negotiated on is the relief package that was passed as part of the CARES Act. Well, we got some news today that people in Congress are putting pressure on the USDA not to limit those payments, which would essentially be like another market facilitation payment program, Mike. So, so not to put, not to put the $125,000 right. of commodity limit on exactly. it? Exactly. They're saying Ooh. that by doing that, especially people in the dairy industry will not be able to recoup the full amount that they've lost throughout this COVID-19 pandemic. So they're saying that 
if we are going to base it off of people who have been affected the most, we shouldn't be putting a cap on it of $125,000 per commodity or $250,000 for all commodities. So I don't know how that's going to get voted on and which way that will go. But that is a possibility, which I suppose, if you're arguing, it could skew things one way or the other for potentially bigger producers versus smaller producers. So that's kind of yet to be seen. The last piece of news here, and then I'm going to shut up, Mike, because I feel like I've been talking the majority of this podcast so far. You have that, Melania. Is <laughs> um, there, are, there is about 30 rep- Republican and Democratic House members who are proposing to include an additional $50 billion in farm aid as part of the next COVID economic relief bill. So there's a lot of money being thrown around on the table right now that agriculture could and probably will have up for grabs. Boy, yeah, a lot of money being thrown around and, you know, good. Uh, At the end of the day, the folks I've spoken to about that commodity limit, I think lifting it makes a lot of sense. Um, maybe they'll find some way to lift it, at least for the protein producers, you know, meat uh, and dairy in particular, because, you know, those are the folks, there was no MFP payment for any of those type of commodities last year. There was no relief of any sort heading into this trade war, except for the packers when they were buying stuff for the, uh, you know, the institutional users, food banks and so forth. And uh, you know, the losses have been catastrophic in that industry. And on the pork side, good friend of the podcast, Dr. Jim Smith, reported this morning that uh, the Monmouth plant, I believe it's a Smithfield plant, is closing down as well. So as of today, a full 20% of America's pork production is Jeez. closed. Not to mention the, uh, the remainder of the plants operating at, at reduced capacity. Yeah. This, is, this means we're going to see a 108,000 pigs per day not finding their way to slaughter and therefore backing up on farms. The losses in the hog industry have been catastrophic, and it looks like they're going to get worse, Delaney. Man, I, I don't even know how we handle this, but uh, this is definitely going to be a big story as we see it shift in to the supply chain and we see consumers not being able to get pork products at the grocery store. Yeah. And, you know, that's one side of it. And we're going to see, uh, you know, pork prices at the retail level skyrocket. The other side of it is, of course, the collapse of carcass hog prices Mm. on the countryside. So we're going to see independent producers and even integrators with no place to haul those animals. And we're going to, in fact, I I heard from a source, it was a Twitter source. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) But um, reportedly there were 3000 market hogs, uh, slaughtered, you know, not slaughtered, but euthanized on a farm earlier today. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. euthanization of these backup hogs is starting. And, um, you know, this is in addition to reports of, uh, of wean pigs being euthanized and sows, you know, aborting their, uh, their piglets. So this is, this is something we're going to see a hole in the pork supply chain for some time to come. We also got news that ADM is uh, going to idle ethanol facilities, ethanol plants, ethanol output at two facilities. This was announced yesterday. Delaney, you might have talked about it. It came out late last night, actually, now that I look at it. Um, So that's two more ethanol plants that are going offline. We're going to see ethanol production continue to crumble, driving corn base slower. However, Delaney, there is, believe it or not, a potential beam of sunlight coming through. Okay, let's hear it. That's in the form of China. 
And we've said a lot, a lot of our Market Monday guests have said a lot that China likes to buy at fire sale prices. Well, most of the commodities in America are now at fire mm -hmm. sale prices and not shocking to a lot of folks, China is stepping in for the third straight day in a row. China agreed to buy soybeans from the U.S. according to USDA flash sales. Their total this week for uh, U.S. soybean purchases have been 606,000 tons. And uh, they are preparing, according again to Chinese sources, to buy another 30 million tons of crops to help rebuild their state reserves, which were pulled down last year during the, uh, the China-U.S. trade war. So this is potentially good news. It is a major demand driver stepping back into the market. However, I know one of the industries that was really looking forward to China step in and make some purchases was the pork industry. Yeah. And the unfortunate truth is we don't really have the hogs to export right now, the, or the, the pork to export, I should say. So it looks like hogs aren't going to get much of a, much relief right there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I talk about this in my speeches. I'm sure you talk about it too. We've talked about it on the podcast, but pork is just such an essential staple of the Chinese diet. This is, I mean, we were already going through a transition because of African swine fever. This is just pushing that forward, I think. So could be a good potential marketplace for U.S. beef and U.S. poultry. Is it going to change the Chinese diet forever or, you know, permanently? I think that's really what I'm watching as all this continues. Yeah, and there could be a lot that changes forever because of this coronavirus. You know, I've been, I've been on the camp that you know, we'll start reopening things and people start going back to work and the economy is going to do the V-bottom recovery and come right back. But there was a very fascinating piece by a writer the name of Jonathan V. Last. He wrote in a publication called The Bulwark. He basically posited that we're not going to go back to the way things were in February 2020. The, his thesis is that it isn't the stay-at-home orders that have necessarily tanked the economy and changed the American people's behavior. It's fear of this virus, and that's backed up by a number of different studies and, and uh, you know surveys taken of people that really, once things come back online, people are still going to be skittish about going to restaurants. They're still going to be skittish about going to bars and places where we see large uh, concentrations of people. And the U.S. economy, you know, might not recover for some time, which would be devastating. And we would need a home for that extra value added protein. And if if we can get the processing back up and China's willing to take some, heck, that's a win. It certainly is. It's a win for our export markets, no doubt. And hopefully, if China does come to the buying table, we see maybe a little more support for our lean hog prices. If we can get the slaughter capacity right. to. That's the big if. Yeah, yep, for sure. If. For sure. Let's see. Well, I have just one other piece of news for today, Mike. It is cattle on feed summary day. Oh, yeah. Good. What do you so got? I am just pulling up the numbers. And I think really looking at these numbers, a big surprise for today. I don't know if it's really that much of a surprise. But um, when you look at cattle on feed as of April 1st, we saw USDA come in below trade expectations at about 94.5%. The average trade was estimating about 95.2%. The other place where we saw the trade and USDA differ was on the placed on feed during the month of March. 
the average trade estimate came in at 80.7%. USDA came in and said, nope, just 77.3% were placed on feed. Cattle marketings were a little higher, just about a percentage higher than the average trade estimate at 113.3%. So there you have it. All right. Well, you know, we've talked about how maybe the peak in the cattle cycle is coming. And yes. I think this virus is certainly causing more cow-calf producers with sale barns being closed or, you know, just concerns about whether or not bidders will be at the sale, keeping calves on farm and just not transitioning them yeah. to a feedlot uh, as soon as expected. So I, I think the data sort of bears that out. I think you are absolutely correct. And I would say too, the data absolutely shows what we've talked about before with an increased demand and increased marketings for the month of March as we saw people literally buying stuff till the shelves were bare. Right. Yeah. I mean, and when packers are making 800 bucks a head, they're going to kill every single head right. they can get their hands on. And right. that would certainly pull placements ahead, which again, USDA reported there. Yes. Well, I'll get just one other piece of news before I am ready to jump into the markets. This is again related to the meat industry, and it is another call for federal action. We've heard calls from most of the meat industry participants, whether it be NCBA, RCAF, uh, MPPC, you name it. All the groups have come out and said, hey, you know, we're going to need federal help either in getting testing to these plants or in investigating whether or not the packers have been manipulating the market. There's been a million things the feds have been asked to get involved with. And now uh, Representative Colin Peterson from Minnesota wrote in to Vice President uh, Mike Pence and said, because of COVID-19, many of America's pork producers have no access to processing and no choice but to depopulate the herds. He is saying the administration needs to begin a, quote, robust federal response to address this dire situation. This comes right in hand with the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, which is the union that uh, if packing plant members are, or workers are a member of the union, that's probably the union they're a part of. They said that uh, this is a catastrophe and they also want the feds to take, uh, take action right away. And they note that 13 union members have been killed from COVID-19 and 5,000 more have become sick or infected due to this virus. And they want the feds to help clear this up, Lloyd. Yes, and really have been putting an emphasis, like we've talked about, on the PPE. Was it protective, personal, personal protective equ equipment? Thank you. Absolutely. So. Well, Delaney, we have been thoroughly depressing in today's news outlook. <laughs> Why don't we lighten things up a bit before we get to the markets? Let's do it. Let's turn it over to comedian Tim the Dairy Farmer. Whoop whoop, Tim the Dairy Farmer here. There's an old saying, don't lend money to a friend, it causes amnesia. And there's another saying, man I can't remember what it was. None of us are rich. How do I know this? Because if you're listening to this, you're probably somehow affiliated in agriculture, and there ain't been no money in agriculture since the 1960s. So none of us have a pot of gold. I don't care how many leprechauns my uncle saw. Somehow that only happened when he drank rye whiskey. Just remember that I'm not a financial advisor. I've set up some ground rules for loaning money. First of all, bail money is not considered a loan money and you'll probably never see your cousin again. Never loan money for tattoos or Billy Ray Cyrus tickets. The only time you lend money is if they have proof, like if your brother's holding a winning lottery ticket in his hand, or when your uncle dies and your aunt shows you the inheritance check. 
This last bit of advice I learned binging Law and Order. Never lend money unless they have video evidence and you need a character witness for the trial. Hey, this is Tim the Dairy Farmer. To hear more about me, go to timthedairyfarmer.com. I hope y'all are safe and keep milking it. All right. Well, thanks, Tim, for sending those in. A bit of lighthearted comedy. It does the heart good, Delaney. It does. It certainly does. And I know they're a little cheesy, but I enjoyed them. A little cheesy. I get it from Tim the Dairy Farmer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like like it. I like it. You're a comedian, Delaney Howell. I don't think I should um, quit my day job to go be a comedian, but... Yeah, yeah, you might be right. You might be right. <laughs> I tell you what, folks. Well, now that hopefully you've had a laugh, now we can dive into the markets, which might not have a lot of producers laughing. <clears throat> As we take a look today, we've got red on the screen. Traders just do not like heading into these weekends long too many of these commodities because the risk is so great. But what can transpire over the next two days without trading? So we did see a sell-off in the grain markets. July corn was down three cents on the day at 323 even. December down two cents, closed at 336 and three quarters. In the soybean market, the July was off seven and a quarter cents to wrap at 839 and a half. November down six and a half, finished at 841 and a half. Wheat was the big loser on on the day. Chicago contract July down 14 and a quarter cents at 530 and a half. December down 12 and a quarter to close at 540 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, we do have maybe a little ray of sunshine coming into the meat industry longer term. Traders are still selling aggressively these front month contracts, but the deferreds are starting to, uh, to bounce back a little bit. In the live cattle contract, the June was down 30 cents at 82.62 half, while the August was up 45 cents at 88.90. In feeder cattle, actually, we've got green in all the contracts here. The, the uh, May contract was up 17.5 cents at 117.45, with the August up 2.5 to close at 126.40. In mixed trade in lean hogs, with the June contract down 10 cents, excuse me, at 51.52.5. The July was up 30 at 54.67 and a half. Looking at the dairy market green on the screen again, the April class three milk contract was up a penny at 13.20, while the May rebounded 14 cents to close at 10.82. The lady wanted to tell us who we're talking to for today's interview. Well, Mike, I had a fantastic conversation with a really inspiring young person in agriculture. Well, maybe not that young, but uh, she is finishing up her senior year at Iowa State. She's actually from my hometown. And that is Kelly Rausch talking about her senior year at Iowa State and also some of her success she's had in the soil judging arena. Today, we are joined by a very impressive senior at Iowa State University. Kelly Rausch is joining us for today's podcast. Kelly, you have had an interesting senior year, to say the least. Yeah, it's definitely been a little bit different uh, finishing up school online instead of in person. And you are a senior at Iowa State studying agronomy. And even though you've had maybe a, a interesting last semester here. You've done a lot of things during your time at Iowa State, which is really what we wanted to chat about with you today, because you just have such an impressive resume for such a young person involved in agriculture. Kelly, before we get to talking about what you've been doing at Iowa State, tell our listeners a little bit about your background growing up in maybe a less traditional agricultural farm. 
Yeah, so I actually grew up in the same town as you, Delaney, in Columbus Junction. And I grew up uh, in a small farming community, but something that makes me a little bit different is my family decided to raise cantaloupe and watermelon. Uh, since we have pretty sandy soil, so things are a little bit different when you look in things in that aspect. Uh, we aren't really using a whole bunch of big machinery. It's a lot of hands-on labor. So growing up, a lot of my friends are also involved in our farm, raising cantaloupe more around with us. Uh, your brother actually worked for us, Delaney. That's right. I forgot about that. It's too funny. Yeah. So you guys grew watermelon. And to be honest, I think maybe more farmers in Louisa County should have been growing watermelon and cantaloupe because crops don't always grow the best in sandy soil. But how did you transform those early years working in that type of operation to deciding that you wanted to study agronomy once you got to college? I mean, when you grow up in the community like we do, it's really hard not to get involved in the hustle of the spring planting and then watching the fields of green turn gold and just wanting to be able to help out more around in my area and truly understand uh, what's going on and what processes go on into making a farm profitable. Uh, that's really what drew me in. And well, when you're surrounded by it, it really is hard not to get involved. And so you got to Iowa State, started doing agronomy things and getting very involved in the Department of Agronomy. Tell us about your involvement that you've had so far in college, because you've had some really unique experiences. Yeah, so I was involved as a freshman in the agronomy club. It's kind of something that we all get involved in when you start off. And then from that club, you can learn about the different experiences that not only the department, but what the university has to offer. And I did soils judging in FFA in high school, and there's a soils judging team at Iowa State, so I decided to give it a try, and I was pretty successful at it. Yeah, you were very successful at it, I would say. Tell us a little bit more about that involvement in, your, in the Iowa State soil judging team. Uh, so I've been a member of the soils judging team since the second semester of my freshman year. And I started off placing fifth and sixth at a couple competitions. And then my, in 2018, we were at the National Soils Judging Competition. And somehow, miraculously, I uh, placed first at that competition, which allowed me to go to the International Soils Judging Competition, which was held in Rio de Janeiro, and be a member of Team USA. So that was pretty unique and pretty fun time. And that is super neat, super unique to think about because I also did soil judging in high school. I guess we were somewhat decent at it. I was on the team with your brother. Hopefully you remember that. But um, yep. when you judge soil at a high school level, you're judging for texture, you're judging for you know what you can grow or theoretically not grow on that. How did it differ from doing high school soil judging to then college soil judging? The biggest thing right away is in high school, we use the imperial system, inches. And then when you go to college, you have to use centimeters. So that kind of throws a wrench into things right away when you're thinking it's just like high school judging. At least for me, it did. But then in high school, like you said, we do texture and color and a couple suitabilities. And we do those too in college, but in a little bit more of an in-depth level. Um, on any given pit, I'll have six to seven soil horizons that I have to describe. Texture, color, structure. Uh, any wetness factors, hydrologic conductivity, and then we use those factors to then dive even deeper and give the soil a name. So we use the USDA soil taxonomy naming system. And so that's where a lot of points come in is 
figuring out what the soil should be classified as. That seems like a crazy amount of information that you have to know that you're studying to prepare for these things and then throw in to the equation that you're doing it in other countries. How did it compare going down to Brazil with Team USA? Uh, so it was very different. Not only are you in a different country, um, there's a different language spoken down there, Portuguese. I'm familiar with Spanish, but Portuguese is an entirely different dialect that you have to try to understand. And in America, we use the USDA soil taxonomy, but around the world, there's something called the World Reference Base uh, Soils Tax. So it's a completely different system that I had to learn to be able to judge down there. But I didn't have to do it alone. There's four other team members with me and a coach that were trying to explain it and help better understand it. And so that way we were all kind of using the same system because there's country, Germany was there, uh, Japan, South Africa. So we're all using the same system. So it would make it an even playing field. And are all those people, all those teams that came, were they all college age students? No, they weren't actually. So I was the youngest competitor at the International Soils Judging Competition. I wasn't even 21 yet. Um, but then there is people that had been getting their PhDs or on their master programs. I met a guy from South Africa that was 28. So it was a little intimidating uh, to be competing for the same thing alongside people that have had years more experience and are at a higher education level. But from the press release that Iowa State released, it sounds like you did pretty well, Kelly, internationally at the competition. Yeah, so my Team USA, we placed first in team judging, so all four participants are able to judge the same pit together. And then I placed 11th individually, and then we placed first overall as that's, a country. That's really, really, really impressive, Kelly. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. So Kelly, you've been obviously very focused on soil judging and learning this type of procedure, if you will. You are in your senior semester, your final semester here at Iowa State. Things are looking a little differently. How does this change or what are you, what are your next plans? How are you going to take what you've learned and go into, quote, the real world? So I will be starting June 1st working for Golden Harvest as a developmental sales representative. And I'll be using the knowledge that I've learned from soils judging along with all the information that I've learned in class to help better uh, educate farmers and help them make more of a profit on the farm that they own or are operating. Uh, something a little bit different is I like to look at things from a soils perspective first because sometimes you can truly find the root of the problem underneath the ground instead of focusing on the plant itself. Uh, so that's something that just makes me a little bit more different. If you can truly understand what's happening underneath the ground and how your soil's interacting with your plant and how that affects your plant growth, I think that's the best place to start. That is really, really interesting. I think it's really neat what you are doing and going to be doing here with your future career. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today and honestly, good luck with your new job coming up. Thank you, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you to Kelly for joining me in that conversation. I think we have to let these young people that are graduating tell their story because, you know, I know it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but they're getting robbed of 
that time where they get to celebrate all of their past experiences over their past four years in high school and or college. Yeah, you know, and it's it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of seniors, a lot of folks who are graduating. It's frustrating for a lot of people right now. There's a lot of people getting robbed, you know, not just of mm-hmm. things they can celebrate, but of, you know, nobody can go to funerals. Yeah, um, I know. They're being robbed of celebrating a loved one's lives. They're being right. robbed of going into work. They're being robbed of life. This virus is really frustrating. I mean, it is the, the great train robbery for an entire nation right now. It certainly is. It certainly is, Mike. And not to make light of the situation, but you are not being robbed of the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are continuing in full force as we continue to bring you the latest headlines and updates impacting our industry. Connect with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or listen to any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.